Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week on the podcast, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to provide support to professionals working in schools, to improve our knowledge and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand and continual changes, teachers, Senkos, leaders and parents need a way to keep up with all the changes that fits in with their lives. And the Sendcast is the answer. This week's show is on school refusal, school phobia and illness. We've got one of our regular guests, Sarah-Jane Critchley from Different Joy Partnership. Sarah-Jane was previously the Programme Manager for over 10 years at the Autism Education Trust. And as we all know, pupils with autism often struggle with attending school for a number of reasons. And Sarah-Jane's going to be talking about school refusal, school phobia and illness. And she has the benefit of both a professional and personal perspective. Sarah-Jane's daughter, Beth, has autism and also suffers from migraines, which meant from year three, she's missed a lot of school and missed over 50% of her GCSE classes, eventually dropping out of school in year 12. But before we get started, I just want to mention the Virtual Send Conference. This is a conference B-squared run. We've been running since 2019, so not a huge amount of time, but it's already had a big impact. So the big difference with this conference compared to other conferences is it's not a physical conference. The conference comes to you over the internet. What's even better is if you can't make on the day, you can access the videos whenever you want. So for more information on the conference, please visit www.virtualsendconference.com. We did run the last conference, a session on anxiety and school refusal. And you can access this whenever you need, just by purchasing access. And at the end of the episode, I will be sharing a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. Show Sarah Jane. Thank you, Dale. So it sounds like you had a hard battle with Beth over her time in education. Oh boy, yes. Is your experience, do you think, typical? Yes, I think it is very common. I mean, everybody's experience is very personal to them and their individual child and the issues that they're going through. But in our case, it was a bit catastrophic. So as you said in the introduction, Beth was very poorly for quite a long time. So she's always been autistic her entire life but we didn't realize she was autistic until she was about sort of 15 16 and she was finally diagnosed as autistic then originally she was diagnosed as having dyspraxia at the age of three adhd at the age of seven and finally diagnosed with autism at the age of 16 you shout bingo i kind of did so it's like kind of like playing disability bingo you know somebody says have you got dyslexia yes dyspraxia yes ocd yes anxiety yes in our family we've got the whole lot so it's kind of part of a family thing. And I think one of the things is when you come from a, a really neurodiverse family, which we are, whatever's counted as normal feels quite broad. So we didn't identify it as any particular label. And to some degree, it made no difference because she was the amazing, gorgeous, fantastic girl that we had, that she grew into. You know, she's always been wonderful, absolutely wonderful, but has always struggled with different things. So she finally rocked up with her autism diagnosis at the age of 16, at which point we were starting to apply for an education, health and care plan for her. The reason we applied for that was because she was so anxious she was unable to attend school. And the reason she got it, I actually think, wasn't to do with her being autistic because we had a refusal to access to assess her twice. So I had to appeal that and go to tribunal to get that overturned. And then eventually they did agree to assess her. But that was because of her catastrophic migraines. 
And so when I say catastrophic migraines, I mean absolutely catastrophic. So she would have full-on migraine with aura, which meant that she was in bed in the dark, no phone, no friends, no music, no books, no text, no TV, nothing from the beginning of Monday morning to the end of Friday night. And then she'd recover a little bit over the weekend, send her into school again on Monday morning. She'd be sent home Monday morning and she'd be like that again for the rest of the week. And this went on and was getting progressively worse. So it kind of started when she was in year three with stomach migraines. So she had stomachache and lots of young children who are anxious have stomachache. And I would say I kept thinking that she was just being difficult. Sorry. I know there'll be parents out there who feel the same. Sometimes you just think, oh, well, you're just doing it to say you don't want to go. I accept that you might not want to go, but you've got to go. So we just kept her going and she went through various assessments to make sure that she didn't have a bowel problem or a digestive problem. She had a specialist after specialist, ear issues, you know, the lot. But it turns out that those were actually stomach migraine and children often have stomach migraines. And then as they become adult, they will develop into full-blown migraines, which they did in her case. Full-blown migraine with aura, the full sort of hemiplegic, horrific pain thing. And she'd be in bed and if you have a pain score from one to 10, where one is, I feel absolutely fine, lighted are skipping along, and 10 is, can I please chop my head off now? She'd be on an eight out of 10 for the whole of the week. So that was incredibly tough for her. And she was just out of it. You know, she was really isolated, really down. And so were we. It had a huge effect on the whole family. And I think what isn't understood when your child falls out of education is that there's an assumption that you just don't want them to go or they can't be bothered to go or they just think it's somewhere they don't really want to be. And that really, really isn't the case for most of the parents that I talked to, most of the children I talked to, and certainly wasn't the case in ours. In our case, she would desperately want to be at school. We had a position where after she'd fallen out for a while, we actually withdrew her. We got her signed off by the doctor and we said she's too ill to go. And that was the case. And we were sat there at the end of the summer holiday, I remember very clearly at the end of her GCSE year, no, the year after her GCSE year, when she'd been out for a year. And she was sat there at the table and, and my son, Alex, who was at the same school, came home and said, oh, I can't wait for the summer holidays to start. I just, I've had enough. I'm tired. I just want it to stop. And Beth said, I just want to go back to school. I just want to be learning. And she couldn't go. She couldn't go and she really wanted to so this was a child who loved learning loved being in classes but couldn't cope with school and you just think this is not kind of what you would think of a school refusal this isn't school I don't like you I don't want to be there this is I cannot be there I want to be there I want to learn I can't do it so then we're in the position of having to find something else to do and that's a position that so many families find themselves in and what upsets me now is working out how many families are in exactly this position. They haven't asked for that. They didn't want that. Their children don't want that. They'd much rather be doing the same as everyone else. No child wants to hang around at home feeling sick and lonely. They'd much rather be out having a great time with their mates. It's not something that's voluntary. And yet parents are accused of keeping them away. So I think that's, that's a big issue for me. I think there's a misunderstanding. And there's one thing I need to clarify before we get there. It's just kind of what is and isn't school refusal. So it's a horrible phrase. I hate the phrase school refusal. School? No, I'm not going to have that one. I'm going to have that one and I'll have it with chocolate sprinkles, please. No, it's, it's just, this isn't the way it works. 
So it's not truancy. Truancy is a totally different thing. So if you have a child who's truanting, you will normally have a child who says that they're going to school and then goes somewhere else. And you'll normally have parents who are not aware that that is happening or are not condoning that that's happening. If you have a child who's school refusal because they're anxious or they're ill, normally the parent will know that they're not able to do that and they will have tried heaven and earth to get them in. I keep hearing in the Facebook groups that I'm in and the parents that I talk to of parents like me who spent hours trying to get their child to go in and they just couldn't do it. They couldn't get them in. They tried to get them, they woke them up five times, they woke them up six times, seven times, they put the clothes on the end of the bed, they've got in, they physically got them dressed, they've stood them up, they've got them in the car and the child is there with their head in their hands in the car park, so anxious they can't bear to get in. They're in pieces trying to get through the door. This is not families who are saying, no, I can't be bothered. You know, and but the perception from school is, I'm going to send you a letter now that says we're considering taking you to court because your child has been absent too much. Now, I fully get you're going to say to me, aren't you? Every child has the opportunity to have access to an education, aren't you, Dale? And I'll say yes, and I'll say that's absolutely true. And we know that children who attend school do better; they have better outcomes. We know that if you drop below 95% of attendance, your results are likely to be lower. So all of that is true. Government guidelines says that children should attend school if they are well enough to do so. My contention is often they're not well enough to do so and schools aren't understanding that. No, sometimes if they do go to school, they might have the attendance, but it's not healthy for them. Yeah. And they can't keep it up. And we've talked a little bit in other podcasts, and I highly recommend the other ones as well, so go and look them up, about how masking has a really negative effect. So you can have a child who tries really hard and goes in. This is what Beth did for years. So despite feeling really ill, despite feeling incredibly challenged, for years upon years upon years, she went in incredibly bravely, put up with stuff that she really couldn't cope with, and then her body effectively said, Ollie down, said, no, nah, enough of this, I'm done. It wasn't her choosing. Her body said, I cannot cope with this. My stress level is too high. I'm taking you out. So it's it's kind of a really difficult position to be in. So as a parent of a school refuser, how did other parents see you? <laughs> I've, I've heard that not only is the school blaming you, but sometimes other parents are going, stop moaning, put your child in school. Well, people have suggested to other people, not to me, because I think I'm probably sufficiently robust that they wouldn't dare. But occasionally it has been suggested that teachers should come to the home and physically remove the child and take them back into school. And that I think is really bad. I think that's appalling because a child has to have a safe place to be. Given that this is an anxiety-based condition, you have to have a safe place to be and home needs to be that place. It is also suggested that maybe you're just not trying hard enough. Well, that's just so not the experience of everyone that I have ever talked to. It's never voluntary. It really isn't. And to have other people think, well, why is that an issue? It's kind of, there must be something wrong with you or there's something wrong with the child that that's causing this to happen. And it's really interesting talking to other people in my peer group that their attitudes change when they experience something similar. So I think... One of the things that is comforting is the number of parents who are now coming forward and saying, actually, this is happening to me and this is really difficult. And there are some other people who understand, but there'll usually be people who've got children in the same position. I think it is 
would be really nice if more people generally would understand that we're not choosing that, that nobody would choose that. It's not. Sorry, you're not saying you're choosing for your child to be unable to attend school. You're not choosing to get abuse from school and you're not choosing to get abuse from other parents. Funnily enough, no. Okay, that wasn't, just clarifying. wasn't on the menu list that I kind of signed up for when I thought, oh, yes, of all my life goals, I want to be abused by the school, threatened with prosecution and ostracised by my social peer group. No, no, not, not well after, no. 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 <laughs> so you've been on a journey over the last 10 years or more. Has it improved? Are we still in the same situation? I would so like to say it had improved, but I really don't think it has. So I think we have a ticking time bomb in terms of mental health in schools generally. I think we have a perfect storm of a lack of resources, a lack of training and understanding and an increase in pressure on schools to perform, on head teachers to run schools effectively, on teachers to be able to deliver results that doesn't pay any attention to the well-being of individual pupils. And I think pupils are paying the price of that. And I actually know teachers are paying the price of that too. I see teachers who are struggling with mental health issues as a result of having to manage a system that's untenable for them. So I would argue that it's a toxic system that is causing pain to everybody in the system, actually, but causing most pain to those at the bottom who have the least capacity to deal with that. And that's children and that's families. My sister is in the same, is, that, is in this situation. And just hearing that journey for her over the last five years, mm. it's, if you kind of wrote it on the wall, on a wall, you'd look at it and go, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah, And I bet every parent in that situation just says, if you wrote this down, no one would let this happen. But yet it does happen and it comes down to the big old money and the pressures that schools are under. And then I suppose, but and so many things, lack of understanding, lack of compassion mm. and snapping to that judgment, snapping to, well, if not coming in, there must be a reason that it's not they can't cope choice and again it comes back to that term school refuses does sound like a choice as we said earlier it should be the school can't copers <laughs> yes that would be much better wouldn't it school can't copers I think we should adopt that one now <laughs> and yeah I think and I've I've heard of situations personally where they've even tried they've got the child into the school car park yeah and they're trying to drag that child out of the car yeah. with the head teacher the deputy the parent all trying and all in that time, they all think it's the right thing to do. Mm. And it's just causing more distress. The actual trust from the son to the parent is reducing because you're putting them through this. Mm. And that they're never going to see that school as a good thing after that situation. That's kind of like you've just killed it for them. They're never going to go into that school. And sometimes something like that, it can cause PTSD. Mm. And they need therapy just because of you trying to get to school yeah or because to you they should be able to cope every child can get into school every child can go to school everybody else goes to school why don't you yeah and that's that's a big thing that not everyone can cope with everything some people can cope with scary films <laughs> some yes. people can't and and everything's like that but i think the school refusal is you just assume everyone can because you're a child and it's rare that this is actually going to happen. Mm. And it's that safeguarding thing. 
in safeguard you're always taught what if yes i think a lot of teachers don't forget it but they just assume everything's fine they quite often lose that but what if it's not and i think you need to think about that when a school when a child is showing this sort of but what if I think one of my worries is that often you won't see the things that happen in the lead up to it. So if you think about precipitating events, often there is a precipitating event that will cause a child to fall out of school. So it may be that they're being bullied and that that's causing them considerable anxiety and they may not be able to talk about that. So you may not understand that. You may not. It, it is difficult to unpick the issues. It may be that they're under considerable exam pressure and that may be self-imposed pressure. It may be pressure that you're opposing as a parent because you really want them to do well. It may be pressure that they're under from the school if they're in a really high achieving school and they feel they can't let anybody else down. There are a group of children who are reluctant to attend school because they have caring responsibilities and they're scared about what's going to happen if they're not there. If you've got a parent who's ill, who struggles and needs you to be there for them to provide medication or to provide daily care and you're the person doing it or you're responsible for another member of the family and you know there's something else going on, you're going to be reluctant to be away from that because you don't know what's going to happen when you're not there. And schools often aren't cited on those issues. They may not know about them. So there are other things that may be underlying that. Or there may be mental health issues. They may just be incredibly anxious. And anxiety is a mental health condition. It's a mental health illness. It's a disability. It's not something that people choose or it's not an item that you would kind of say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be so anxious that I can't go out for the next three years. Yes, definitely, I'm going to have that one. No, don't take me to Disneyland. I'm going to stay in my house and never go on holiday again because that's so much better, isn't it? You know, it's just, that's not the way it works. It's just not what happens. So I think there is something about there being a precipitating event often, but not always. And if there is one, if there's an appropriate response that can prevent people and protect them from getting into that position. So again and again and again, Bullying, is it dealt with appropriately? If not, you're going to have some form of fallout and school refusal may be a, a form of fallout. Exclusion may be another if they lash out or just dropping out of school altogether and having a mental, mental health issue may be another one. There's another thing to think about in terms of the progression that happens in school refusal. So it doesn't start out of a totally clear blue sky always. There's usually something that happens first. And you'll often find that there are children who go to school but are reluctant. So this is something that happened to me. So for years, Beth went to school, but she was reluctant to go. She said, actually, I'd rather be taught at home by you, Mum. It's me thinking, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not qualified. By the way, I can't possibly teach you everything you need to know. This is a girl who philosophically needed the Archbishop of Canterbury on speed dial because I had no answers to the questions she was asking me. It's kind of, oh, God help, I need somebody to explain this to me. I am not up to this job. And I think there'll be plenty of parents out there think, no, that's not a question I can answer right now. And just, or you'll come up with a, a completely, I'm probably not allowed to swear, am I? An, an inappropriate answer. A not entirely accurate answer. Distract. A distracting answer. rather. Than, but I always want to give a real answer. So I'd, sometimes I run out of my capability and I have to go away and do some research before I can do that. So I knew I wasn't going to be the person to do that. And actually, much as I think home educators do a fantastic job, a single person, whoever they are, cannot cover the same span of knowledge that individual subject specialists can. That's just a straightforward thing. And I honour the work that teachers do. They bring real skills and real knowledge to that party. And I wanted my child to have the best, so I wanted her to go. 
So she went in but was reluctant, loved the learning bit. Absolutely fantastic. Love teachers. Thank you. Thank you for all of you. And there's a wonderful teacher who literally walks on water as far as I'm concerned. You know, most of us will have one person that we can imagine. I wasn't taught by them, but my children were. And Mr. Cook, if you're out there, I will adore you till the day I die. Thank you. (laughs) You're amazing. So there were people that made the difference and she wanted to go, but was reluctant. So reluctant, but going in. That's the first stage. And that tends to get worse around holidays. So you'll have somebody who kind of will okay and be okay, but then will really struggle to go back after a break. So the beginning of September is quite a tricky time. Those of us who've just come out of Christmas and New Year will know that the first few days back are hell on wheels for anyone who's really struggling because it's different, the routine's different, and you kind of think, right, I'm going to plow myself back into it. And teachers amongst you, yes, I know that applies to you too. I know you feel like that going back in after a holiday. You're kind of stealing yourself, ready for the next bit. There's nothing like delivering training on that first inset day in January. Oh, and there, everybody's kind of twitching and thinking, oh, God, it's coming, it's coming. Oh, no, I'm feeling really anxious. Oh, the and it's like that old joke, isn't there? It's kind of, I don't want to go to school. But darling, you have to go to school. No, I really, really don't want to go to school. But darling, you really must go to school. Darling, I, mama, I don't want to go to school. But hun, you are the head teacher. You have to go to school. It's like that. It's kind of, so we joke, but, you know, these things happen. It's harder after a break, isn't it? It's harder after a break. And then the final group are those who are out of school altogether and who literally can't get in. And that's at the area that you start experiencing what's known as either school refusal or school avoidance or school phobia or school not able to get in and unable. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but that was better. Can't get inable. School can't get inable, wasn't it? Don't cope with schoolable. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't cope with schoolable. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to think of something snappier than that. That's just not going to cut the mustard. So it's that third group that we're talking about here who literally can't get into school, who are out of school for a long period. So a couple of questions over what you've just said. I'm just going to touch on that homeschooling. One of the things I personally, when I think about homeschooling, it's the other areas softer skills mm-hmm. that can be easily missed out with homeschooling the social the emotional interacting with others it can be depends how you do it so lots of homeschooling groups have cooperative learning so they often have groups where they meet together they do social clubs you can do social in football clubs in sports clubs in guides in scouts in special interest groups you can do it online you can do it face to face you can take children out and get them to have a Saturday job, you know. There are other ways of doing social. Yeah. It isn't, school isn't the only way no, to do that. There are sure other ways. that often they get that in school. So therefore, if yeah. they're homeschooled, you've got to make sure that's being done in yeah. another way. And lots of homeschooling groups say build that into the way that they teach. Are there many statistics on school refusers? Well, interestingly, in 2016 to 17, I was horrified to find from the DfE's official stats that they reckon that one in 10 pupils were persistently ab- absent during the school year, in that year. One in 10 pupils. That wow. seems unbelievable. It's in their own stats, honestly. They say what determines persistently, is it below 95%? I'd have to go back and double check what they said. What I'd be interested to know is how many school refusers either have EHCPs or on the process of getting EHCPs. Mm. Something tells me that might be quite a high number. So in 
I don't think they collect that stats or they don't give those stats. But if you look at the statistics for the different groups of people who are persistently absent, I'm just trying to see if I can actually work that out. So primary, secondary, that and oh, hold on. Special. So special people in special schools are more persistently absent than those outside. Primary least, then secondary, then special schools is about 36.5% of that total of persistent absences. But that doesn't give a reason. So in theory, that no could include hospitals. Yep, absolutely. And anything like that. They're often approved. Yes. So, you know, often approved absences in the same way that Beth's absences were approved because she had a genuine medical condition and we provided evidence, which you're not supposed to be asked for vexatiously or without a reason. But some people are. And there were quite a high proportion of people who were absent from alternative provision as well, or generally excluded. So, you know, the, those figures are quite variable. And it doesn't take into account how often you might be absent due to a particular condition that you have. So I know that if you're autistic, for example, you will have a certain amount of capacity. And when that capacity is tapped out, you're done. You yep. just need time out to recover. And if you're lucky, you have set up your life so that you allow time for that to happen so you can do things to build your capacity. But you have to have that downtime. If you have a system that doesn't allow that and you're not accommodated appropriately, then that kind of stacks up and it kind of accumulates. And so often people just fall out at the end. So that's one of the things that happens. And that's what happened to Beth eventually. Cumulative over years. I was was expecting most school refusers to happen in secondary school. Yeah. Just because I suppose at that age you're feeling more independent. You feel you can make that decision. I I suppose not the wrong way of saying it is because I was talking about when you talk about the carers. Mm. So when you talk about the carers and what if they're not at home? I think the population of carers is quite small in comparison to the main population of people. And I don't think that it's actually anything to do with independence. I think it's it seems to be totally separate to that. So I'm hearing people of all ages who are becoming school refusers, who are not able to get in. So even some very young people, completely unable to get in, are so overwhelmed at such an early stage. And that's surprising oh, I- to me. I suppose what I'm trying to hold on to is is we're doing it well at some point and it goes wrong later on. Not that we're getting it wrong from the very start. <laughs> I think it gets worse as you get older. Yeah. So that's, I, but I don't think it's an element of choice and independence. That's that was no, the thing was I was choice. trying it wasn't, to do. It's more the expectation, I suppose. Yeah. Not their so choice, expectations the expectations. Expectations will, inclu- will increase and to some degree it kind of seems always seemed to matter less when you were younger if you were away it always mattered more if you're in exam class because the pressure increases so there's much more of a focus but in the last sort of five ten years the government's had such a strong focus on attendance anyway that actually I don't think that applies and there is a quite a toxic thing that happens where schools give attendance certificates out and they assume that attendance is something that you have a choice over and so if you're a child who has a chronic medical condition, you won't get an attendance certificate, despite the fact that's totally out of your control. I didn't have a choice in my attendance. My mum was a teacher. <laughs> well, there are teachers who have school yeah. refusers in their families too. It's not a function of no. being a teacher or not. No, but my mum was one of those. You're going in. Legs falling off, you're still going in. 
Well, I, that's exactly what I did to Beth, and I now feel really, really guilty. Sorry, Beth. And I share this with a lot of parents that I kept sending her in. So the reason why I've never been taken to court by a school is because I kept sending her in and she kept being sent home from the school because she was not well enough to attend. And I kept sending her in the next day and she kept being sent home because she wasn't well enough to attend. If I hadn't done that, they would have come after me with a prosecution for not sending her into school. Yeah. And that is not, that actually for her, from the perspective that I'm in now, is not a reasonable thing to do and possibly even damaged her more. If I had been more robust about saying, actually, she's not well enough to attend, then maybe she would not have been as severely affected as she ended up being because the anxiety wouldn't have built up to such a level in the first place. And one of the sites that we've talked to and we'll put a link to in the show notes is a wonderful site called Not Fine in School. Brilliant organisation, have resources for schools and resources for parents. And one of the things that they have is something that advises schools on when you should authorise absence. So if there's an illness, you should be authorising the absence, basically. And there's also a letter there for parents that they can pick out and use as a template that explains that your child is actually too ill to attend school. It's not doesn't want to attend school or is refusing to attend school. They are too ill to attend school. And that wording is crucial. It doesn't have to be physically ill. No, no. It goes back to that mental health. Yep. Mental health is ill health too. Yeah. So we've talked about the different stages. Yep. And I find it interesting that you say from sometimes a school's point of view, some of it could come out of nowhere. Mm. Whereas I was expecting you to say there's always a telltale, there's always a sign. It comes back to the masking and all those things, which basically means sometimes it might come out of the blue. And it comes out of blue for families as well, and sometimes for the individual. I think if you have, it's in the same way that you get a cold out of a clear blue sky, you can have a mental health issue out of a clear blue sky. So it's just, as you said, it was unplanned for the individual. It's like, you sure they're not planning this? Yeah, utterly unplanned. Sorry, I'm not going to get flu this week. I've decided I'm not going to get flu this week, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, if only that were the case. Yeah, I think that's with school refusals. Almost when you hear about it, you, without the experience, you kind of think, you imagine like the parents are shouting, it's arguments and all this sort of You get this point of think, well, they're just shouting, it's just anger and all this lot, but it's, not, it's nothing like that. Could be, but that's not the anger. It's more like, don't make me do something I cannot cope with. Mm. Definitely. And from my limited experience with it, it's been a real eye-opener in what's involved and the impact on the family. That's, mm. I think that's been really big because you have your expectations when you have children, they're going to be in school. So you plan your life around your children being in school. Therefore, you might take on a mortgage, assuming yes. you're both working. You might do various other things, assuming you're both working. And then all of a sudden, that's not happening. And I think that also is a big impact. And there's a lot of stress within the family, what that means. And the child may be aware of this or may not. Hopefully they won't be. But that's a big impact. And that will sit there and churn through those parents' minds. And that might make them push their child more into school. Mm. It, will have, it, will make, it will affect their judgments what to do in this situation because children go to school parents go to work kids are in the world 
And you're not allowed to leave your children at home unaccompanied because that's not safe for them. No. And it's not good for them. And we recognise that they need support and help. So it is kind of a really odd situation where you're sitting there going, what is the right thing to do? What's the right? And it's it's not easy. And I think, although you said if you didn't push Beth in, she wouldn't anxiety. I do think in this current climate that unless there's a crisis, you're not going to get much support. Yeah. And I feel, so a lot of that EHCPs, until they get significantly behind, we get no support. Well, even with an EHCP, the amount of support you get is minimal, I think. And if you have a really bright child who's dropped down to average, that's fine. But yeah, until there's a crisis, I don't think um, people will get support, which is horrible. It's shocking. I, there's nothing around that at the moment. No. There's no, there's a secret answer. That's, that's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just only. push this button, just right. No, there's nothing. What help is there for parents? So we've talked about that website. Yes, not finding school. Not finding school. There's lots of groups on Facebook. Yeah. So that's a predominantly Facebook group. It's also got a website. It's got resources for schools and for parents. So that's fantastic. There is very little support for parents. It feels like you are largely on your own. Yeah. And Facebook groups are the only place generally that you can talk to other parents who are experiencing similar things. And the worst thing for me as a parent was the unpredictability of it. So you talked about trying to get a mortgage and trying to manage your life. If you don't know what's going to happen with that young person from one day to the next, it's impossible to plan. So I would go in every morning, really jolly. So every morning's a brand new, fresh start. So I could go in doing good morning, good morning, until I learned actually that that was making her feel worse because actually she just wants me to shut up in the morning and be silent. So I stopped doing the singing thing, which listeners you'll be very grateful for. <laughs> I stopped doing that altogether went in silently and I'd just tell by looking at her whether it was going to be a good day and she would be up and able to talk or a bad day and she would have her eyes closed. I could see the pain on her forehead. I could see it etched on her forehead without even having to have a word. And I'd know that she was starting the day with a migraine before she'd even got out of bed. So, and you don't know what day you're going to see when you rock up. And the emotional pain of taking that every day for years. On your own. Well, luckily, the two of us, not everybody has two people in a house. It was awful. Are you old enough to remember Bagpuss? Just. Oh. <laughs> well, for the slightly older amongst us, there was a children's TV program called Bagpuss, which is a soft, floppy cloth cat that was in the window of a sweet shop. And there was this little girl who walked past. It was an Oliver Postgate story. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. And Emily loved this cat. And this cat has a life of his own. And when he wakes up, everybody wakes up. So the mouse and the mouse organ wake up and Professor Yaffle wakes up and then they have this story and then Bagpuss goes back to sleep and everyone goes back to sleep. Well, I was really struck because one of best friends who we were fortunate enough to have lived with us for a while came and, and said and experienced this. And when my daughter had a migraine, everyone in the house is affected because it's just, it's knowing that someone you love is in that much pain and you can't do anything. Yeah. You know, with all the medication in the world and she was on everything, she was seen specialists, we'd done everything, still didn't make a difference. And knowing that every day and knowing how unpredictable it is, not knowing if today was going to be a good day or a bad day, 
And even on a good day, a good day might mean she was upright. And it might mean she wasn't at the door. It might mean she couldn't walk anywhere. It also stop you as a family having fun because you might feel guilty. Well, we just, we didn't feel like it. My husband and I celebrated, I use the word advisedly, our 25th wedding anniversary with Beth having a full-on migraine. We were not in the mood. So we've been married for 25 years. That's amazing. It's a triumph over adversity. You know, I can't believe we managed to put up with each other so long. He's a saint. But what we did, we finally went and we said, we're not going away. We can't go away. We can't leave her. We're not, we don't want to celebrate because frankly, we don't feel like it because everything's so appalling. We went to go and see Macbeth. <laughs> watching Macbeth at the cinema, watching death with madness and descent and murder was actually brilliant. It was the perfect therapy we needed. So, you know, that's the light relief you need. It's not everybody else's kind of, oh, let's be really happy and smiley and have a party because actually we really went up for that. We really went up for that. No, you almost want escapism. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. So the, the other things that we did which helped were we each have a hobby. So we always get out and do a hobby. I'm a, a rabid sailor. So I go out and sail. And you can't think about anything else when you're on a boat and the wind's blowing. You just have to be in the moment. And that's fantastic. It's just time out. I've done that throughout the last 20, 20 years-ish. And he's a paddler. He loves kayaking. So, you know, we each have physical things, hard physical exercise. We've talked about how useful that is for stress reduction. Hard physical exercise, preferably outside and with other people who don't talk about children. There's none of that. Oh, well, my son's doing this. My daughter's doing that. You don't know. I'm not having that conversation. I love you to death. You're one of my dearest friends, but I'm not talking to you about your children. I'm going somewhere where they don't have children. Where as far as I'm concerned, I've been dropped into here from an alternative planet that has nothing to do with children ever. It's wonderful. So that's kept me sane. You need your sane space. And we are really lucky that there are two of us. So I know lots of people in our situation are on their own, and that's much more difficult. We both worked full time, but we both worked in jobs that enabled us to work from home. So we took turns to cover each other. And it took us sitting down every week with our diaries to try and integrate my responsibilities. And I was traveling all over the country and internationally as well. And he was working for the civil service. So luckily he was able to work from home some of the time. So between me working from home when I wasn't traveling and him working from home in the civil service, we were able to keep two salaries going. That isn't possible for everybody. Sometimes one person is just working and they just work and the other person copes at home. And that's not healthy either. No. And work has been my sanity in a lot of ways. So I get to find out more and and think about things that I can actually change and make better when sometimes you can't change and make things better for your family. And that is really hard. And the one thing that did make things better was just giving it time. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do when it is you're surrounded by a wealth of stuff you don't want to be in. And you just have to keep breathing and take one step, one foot in front of the other and keep going. It's also not like you can always rely on your family. Sometimes they're there, but they're not living your life. They're not with your daughter day in, day out, understanding what it's like. So you go there for sympathy. and it's, it's, I'm guessing it's not always there. They don't understand. We couldn't even have that conversation. They just didn't get it. And it wasn't that they wouldn't want to. They just couldn't get it. And their picture of what should happen was the picture of what happens to everybody else. 
And our our reality is so different from that picture that it just wasn't even in the same ballpark. We couldn't even have a conversation. And then saying, oh, are they going to do this exam or that exam? You think, I'm worried about whether they're going to be upright and functioning. And you're talking to me about which university they're going to go into or what grade they might come out with. I'm sorry, that's just not the world I'm in. We'll be lucky if she gets anything. And I was so lucky that she actually managed to rock out with seven GCSEs despite all of that. She did wow. amazingly, you know, given how poorly she was. She did really, really well. But it did impact on her A-levels and she spent three years basically in bed. <laughs> you know, that's, it's really tough. Well, I think it's important to find, make sure you find other people in the same boat as you. Yeah. Either further behind you so you can have that, not it's going to be all right, <laughs> but I feel your pain. Yeah. And also maybe find someone further down the journey than you. Yeah. And maybe there is a light. It might not be the brightest light at the end of the tunnel, but there is an end of the tunnel. And it's, or there might not be, it's helping you prepare for that. And I, I do think when you're in that situation, it's finding someone who, where you can moan mm. and you've got that outlet, which is non-judgmental. Yep. Understands and supports you. I think it's that's what I like about Facebook because you can get that in a hidden way. Yeah. It's your personal release. It's your personal support. You don't have to be seen to be getting it. So you don't have to feel I'm giving I'm I'm being rubbish by getting support or yeah. I'm not strong enough. You can do it without any sort of feeling any judgment on you. Mm. I think that's really good. And I know some of these groups, as well as being online on Facebook, some of them meet up as well. Yeah, they do. Which is really good. Just being able to sit down, if you can get the time, and have a drink, even if it's just a cup of tea. Yes. And relax with someone that when you give them that look, they understand it. And some people can't get out of the house at all. No. You know, there are some people who just cannot leave the house because there's no one they can leave their child with. And that's really, really hard. Because they feel trapped. That's, again, one of the, what stops them getting support. Because a lot of time there's all mm. this amazing stuff, half up the country, halfway down the country, miles away, nine to five. No, can't access that. Yes. I love the fact I got sent an invitation to go and do an, <laughs> a, an early bird plus training for parents of autistic children. Because obviously I needed training to be a parent of an autistic child, despite the fact I was program managing the Autism Education Trust at the time. And they offered me this course, which was from 10 till 12 on a Wednesday morning. I worked full time. And I kind of thought, I looked at it and thought, hmm, I've probably delivered training that's at a much higher level than that which you're offering to me at a time which I cannot attend. <laughs> it's just kind of... Yeah, no, that's not going to work. Thank you for the offer. I really appreciate that you're offering me support, but that support is of no use to me at all. I would question how much early bird advice on autism you can get in two hours. Well, it was over six weeks. Okay, that's yeah, fine. No, no, it wasn't just two hours. It was yeah. over six weeks. <laughs> so it's not, it's not just one morning. It was a programme over six weeks. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's fine. But I think there is the bigger worry is that that's, you know, the reality of living that is traumatic is difficult is stressful is concerning if I had been a parent who had not pursued the medical line if I had been a parent who had not said that she was too unwell to attend the school would have taken me to court 
for non-attendance. What is that sort of journey? So let's say my child decides not to go to school. I love the decides not to, yep. <laughs> can't cope with schooler. Yep. And it's after five days, I get the letter. Mm-hmm. What's after that? So then the school will write to you to say that you are required to get your child to attend. And if you then refuse to do that, or if you don't tell them that there's a medical reason for which they are not attending, then the school will ask you to send them in. They can make you subject to a parenting order. So they can make you go and do a parenting course. They can issue you with a fixed term fine, or they could put you in prison. But hopefully a conversation has gone on school outside of the legal framework. Hopefully there's a conversation going on outside of that sort of hopefully talking about the issues? I would love to think that there was, but my experience of talking to other parents says that that's not the case. And that often when you're in a position where you get an official letter from school, and if you're, let's just imagine for the moment that you are somebody who struggles with literacy, or maybe English isn't your first language, or you have your own special needs, or maybe you're dyslexic, or You just don't know how to cope with an official letter like that. And it is a very official letter. And school communications, God bless them, are not the most user-friendly versions. They tend to be quite institutional language, and they're in a very particular form of words. They're not geared to make you want to come and say, look, I've got a real problem here. Can you help me? They're geared to make you panic. And I know the school doesn't intend for that to be the case. They're saying you have a responsibility and we require you to deliver on this responsibility. And us calling people out is okay. But there isn't the element of support that goes with it. And I don't know how often that is offered. I only hear about the times where that's not offered. Because if it is, then it wouldn't go any further and then they would be better supported and then you don't have an issue. And three cheers to any of you who are doing it the right way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But if that doesn't happen, you've got somebody who's scared or somebody who's autistic and may not open the envelope because they're so traumatized by seeing anything that comes in a school type envelope, or they've got ADHD and they've got processing issues and they just can't cope with the the executive function of actually managing post. Some people have that as an issue. They're not even going to open it. And then they get themselves into a bigger issue because they haven't dealt with an issue where if they just said there is a medical issue here and I need you to authorise a medical absence, then they get themselves into all sorts of problems. So that is a real problem. And because it comes from authority, I think schools don't understand the power and authority they are carrying when they talk to a parent. There's a real power gradient there. Yeah. And... They assume that if they as an education welfare officer is saying, look, this is my job. I've got to tell you that you're supposed to attend after five days absence. That's what I need to do. So I'm just going to write you a letter. And this is the standard letter. And it's okay. It's the standard letter. For you, it's okay. It's a standard letter. For a parent, it's a flipping terrifying thing because you're being told off because you haven't done something that you're legally required to do. So I think that there's a whole thing about how to actually manage that in a way that is more human. And there is something really powerful for me about having really good relationships with parents where if you know your families really well, you know your parents really well, you will be having the conversation that you've suggested that's saying, look, this is what we formally need to do. 
there is a process that says we must do this, but I know that you might be having a problem. Is there anything you want to talk to us about? Can you tell us if there's something going on? Is there something that's happened that's causing you concern? And the best schools have heard, if there's been an issue and the child's been very reluctant, they've done things like have a nominated person who will go out to the car park and just have a conversation with them and help them to come in, not drag them in. That's a different thing. But just do the, oh, hi, how are you doing today? We've got some brilliant stuff going on. I know you're really interested in Thomas Tank Engine Trains, Barbie, Howley Oaks. Look, I've got a brand new photo I want to show you. Can you come in and see it? And then somebody like that talking to you about your special interest, talking to you about something you want to do, might just be enough to get somebody to come back in. You know, that sort of approach works much, much better. Doom and gloom again. Sorry. <laughs> we will finish on a happy note. We promise. We promise, dear listener, we won't leave you in the slough of despond. So once they've had this letter threatening them, mm -hmm. what happens after that? Does at some point someone reach out a helping hand? I'm trying to find the hope. There are responsibilities on the school. There are responsibilities on the local authority. So after 15 days of absence, the local authority is legally responsible for providing an education. I'd like to say it always happens. My personal experience is that it doesn't. Okay. I have heard lots of examples that it doesn't. So do they generally reach out and it doesn't go anywhere? Or does generally, are they just failing at that hurdle? I, my personal experience is we were not even contacted. That's I would have thought at that moment you kind of get maybe social service involved or health involved and trying to solve the problem. No. Okay. How naive. So the main, I, that isn't to say that it never happens. I suppose it's authority by authority. Yes, it will be very local, postcode lottery. So there will be some local authorities who are doing a really good job in really difficult positions. They are underfunded. They are struggling. I fully get their resourcing issues. I understand that. There may be something that they're prioritising families who have already been identified to them. Maybe that those who have not yet come to their radar don't even get noticed. It may be that some of them are doing it brilliantly and they're providing fallback education without being asked after 15 days. In which case, fantastic, thank you. That wasn't what happened to us. So from a school's point of view, it's what we've got to talk about is preventing. Yes. So it's it's about relationships with children, it's about relationships with families, mm -hmm. so that hopefully we're not heading towards school refusal, mm. so that hopefully the child's getting the support they need, and that support could be a very, as you said, it could be a conversation about something they're interested in, just yes. to give them something to enjoy at school. If they go and see Mr. Thompson, we can talk about Arsenal and what, how the match mm. was at the weekend or you were swearing again. I had I just picked a team. <laughs> I'm not an Arsenal fan. Just something they can look forward to. I, I've been in my daughter's school and I, I've watched a head, deputy head teacher just on a Monday morning, celebration assembly, just mm. he looks for a child and he goes, Arsenal didn't do well at the weekend, did they? And it's just that connection and that means a lot. And just little things like that yes. can make a child's opinion of school change, make it more enjoyable, yep. easier to cope with. There's positives. So I suppose when you sit there and you look at things, is you weigh things up, mm. positives versus the negatives. And if all you see is negative, you're not going to go there. So it's keeping the positives. And sometimes it's not always easy for children to see the positive. 
And sometimes they can only see negatives. Yes. And that's not always easiest to deal with. So for schools, it's, it's, it's about that relationship with the child, the parents, so that if actually a school, if a child it doesn't stop attending, hopefully you know why. Mm. But if not, you've got to follow the legal process, but you can also reach out an unofficial hand. But they have to be resourced to be able to do that. And that's kind of a bit of an issue. So all the things that we've talked about require people to be human, which they're able to do if they're not stressed out of their minds too. And sometimes teachers and people in schools are. So if we're working in that environment, we have to maintain our well-being so we are able to step in for the people who need us. There is the having the resource available so you have the time to have that conversation. And so you have the time to actually pay attention to an individual child so that you know if it's going off the rails for whatever reason. There is also the knowing what to do when it's going wrong and how to do that. We had a, a wonderful thing where at the end of the day, we'd always have a, tell me what went right today. It's kind of, please, God, let there be something that went right today. Just tell, tell me one thing that happened that was good, because often you get the, well, this was really awful and that happened and so, so, so. Yes, and that, okay, I understand that was really terrible and I appreciate that was really difficult. Okay, so... So what else happened today? Was there something positive that happened? So just finishing that conversation on a positive, even though the other stuff had been difficult. So it's not negating that that has happened. It's just kind of, okay, so let's finish our day with a positive frame. So at least we stand some chance of having something positive to go into the following day. And I think there's something really powerful about aiming for joy in what you do. I think we should be aiming for joy every day. Now, we're not always going to achieve it. There are some days that are going to be universally horrific because life's like that you know there are things that happen stuff goes wrong things kick off you know sometimes it goes horribly wrong with the best will in the world but we've got to try and aim for joy otherwise we're never going to get there so for years we paid for piano lessons for my daughter she wasn't actually terrifically good at piano sorry Beth if you're listening to this but she loved music and she loved the piano teacher and that moment where she actually got to do that thing that she loved was worth going into school for. So when things were a bit tricky, she said, oh, I really don't feel well enough to go, oh, well, it's a shame because you miss your piano lesson. Oh, well, maybe I'll just drag myself in. So, I mean, that worked for her for that day. She was then, of course, sent home again. But, you know, <laughs> that's kind of, but, you know, it was at least a positive school experience. And I think it's important to have positive school experiences. And sometimes it's managing expectations. Yeah. My daughter will come home. How is school? Horrible. Oh, no. Why? What happened? Well, hmm. well what, 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 what bad happened? Well, nothing really. So it was a good day then. Because nothing great happened. Yeah. She sees it as a bad day. They're just going, no, no, if nothing bad happened, that's a good day. It's just life yeah. meandering along. Yes, nothing amazing happened, but it doesn't mean that was bad. It's just an average day. Average is good. An average day in school for those who are struggling to get in would be amazing. Just think that would be wonderful. But yeah, it's finding that positive. Mm. It's always, always important. And especially when you've got someone who's feeling catastrophically ill. So for us, finding anything that was a positive step forward, however tiny, that's, that's amazing. You were able to get up today. That's so much better. I'm sure you feel that so much better. It's kind of, and there's something really important for me about just doing whatever you can do. 
So if you're stuck at home, I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking, what did we do that worked and what could we do that would make it less appalling for that period? Because it was a really, really tough period and it's not as bad now and I will tell you how good it can get and what's working now, was that we kind of, I sat down on best bed at one point and I made a decision and this decision I think is the most important decision I've ever made and I thought, I looked at her and I thought, at some point I'm going to be telling this story. Right now I'm telling this story to myself and I may share this story with other people. And I thought, we all have stories we tell ourselves about our lives and I do not want this to just be all her story is about. I want her story to have other elements in it. So what other elements can we put into it, even if, even if she isn't setting foot out of the door? So it was around, if she had a good day, what could, could she paint something? Could she write something? Could she read an amazing book? Could we have a lovely conversation or bake something together? Could we do something that didn't require her to be additionally anxious that would just bring her joy? What could we do that would bring her some joy, in however small it would be, in that environment? And by doing that, we kind of slowly got her to be able to do a tiny walk round outside the house and then a slightly bigger walk round outside the house. And then she was going on serious walks at speed so we went from her basically being in bed and not being able to get to the end of the road without being out of breath to her walking miles and miles and miles around our local town. She's gone, walked all the way around. She's gone exploring for hours at a time and is now physically very able to do that. And it's just amazing to see. But it's tiny, tiny baby steps, tiny thing, tiny thing, and emphasising every positive step forward. Every time you make that step, get them to look back and go, Look, you're, you're okay. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. We've got here. Everything's good. And I, I've done that with my I've done that with my daughters, where you sit there and they worry about something. At the end of it, not in the middle of it, at the end of it, reflect. Yes. Reflect on what's happened. It's that wonderful thing that Carol Dweck talks about the growth mindset. Yes. So it's about learning from things. So there are good things that happen. There are bad things that happen. Everything that you experience, good or bad or indifferent is a learning opportunity. There is no failure. There is only learning from different things. And there are some amazing strengths that you can take. I think one of the things that I adore and will adore till the end of my days about my lovely girl is that she is so strong-willed. She was writing her personal statement for university and she said, people actually underestimate how determined I am because I've had to put up with more to get upright, to be able to do things than most people will ever have to do to walk into a university lecture theatre. So her determination to get there is without parallel. You know, if she manages to get there, which I'm utterly convinced she will, in her own time, eventually, her own time, her own speed, the right place, right thing, she will be there because she's passionate about it, because it's what she loves to do, because her passion has taken her there and her determination. And she's got far more of that than people have just swan through she hasn't got the disadvantage of finding everything easy no. and I think that's a curse finding everything easy we're going to come back to Beth in a minute because I know you want to share something about Beth so just going back to that journey and, yep. and um so school refusal yep at home yep what happens next so for my nephew mm-hmm. a school refusal and he now has someone comes out and visits him yep. four times a week and how many hours are they visiting for? 20 minutes. 20 minutes? A day. Four times a week? Yeah. Okay. 
So the aims of that sort of service? So that one is, that's purely about building relationships and building trust. Okay. So for those children, that's quite a severe case. Yeah. But for that child who can't cope, and sometimes it's, it's they can't cope with that school mm. for various reasons. And sometimes it's once they've, say the word decided, but unable to cope with that school, going yeah. somewhere else, that's a different feeling. Yes. I mean, there is that building trust. So if they can't cope with that school, what are the other options? So there are alternative provisions that will take children on a different timetable. You could do dual registration, which is a registration between a, your normal school, the school you fell out of, and another school. So you could have that for a while to see if you settled in, if another one was better or different or worked better for you. You could spend part of your time in one school, part of your time in another. That sometimes works. So if there are specialist resources in a different school to your main school, you can have access to that. The issue is if you're unable to attend in the first place, dual registration isn't necessarily going to help if you can't get into that one. But, you know, that's the principle remains. There's flexi schooling, which is having a different timetable. So maybe you just go in for mornings or maybe you just go in for registration if that's all you can cope with for the first time and then build up from there. So there are pathways back if you are in a position where you are able to do that. Yep. There are hospital schools that are designed to support children who have long-term health conditions, whether they're mental or physical. Those work really well because they're designed to support children in that position and people come in and out of that. And some of those are fantastic. You know, they can be brilliant. And children have done really well. We did employ a lovely young lady once in the AT who had been taught through a hospital school and then went off and got a first in her degree and then came to work for us. She was brilliant. Wow. And she'd had ME and was, had been in hospital school for a long time. So, you know, there are, it is possible to come out the other side of that. So always good to hear those stories, isn't it? And she was brilliant. We loved it. She was really, really good. We decided we only employed people who'd got firsts masters or doctorates <laughs> kind of at one point going, uh, okay it's all right it didn't last forever so that she was a really good example of a success story from a hospital school another alternative is online schools so that's something that I looked at all of the online schools that were available when I was looking at alternatives for Beth and one of the things that worried me was when she fell out of school we thought that's it there's nothing for us and we weren't offered anything at all by anybody else so we weren't offered visiting tutors, which normally local authorities will do. They normally give you a couple of tutors for a couple of hours. Mainly to get them through GCSE, English and Maths, because those are the key qualifications. If you've got those, you've got gateway to other things. So those will be their focus. And one of the tragedies is if you have a child who's capable of doing much, much more, as many, many anxious children are, that's not going to get them the results they would have got if they're in school. No. But it will get them through that particular hurdle so they can access other things. The other thing that we, so we looked at all of the online schools that we could find available. There are plenty. So there are a number of different online schools which some local authorities will pay for to enable you, you to have the sort of teaching in the subjects that you're currently taking to get you back into school so that whilst you're out, you don't miss as much. Okay. But they tend to be very expensive, so local authorities are reluctant to pay for those. And they tend to be for a short term period. Now, that can work brilliantly. If you've got someone who's only out for a few months, that's brilliant. It's worth the investment. Then they can get back into school and it's fantastic. And often they will do a one-to-one tuition that's in the particular exam board that you're doing. So if you're in an exam P 
period, that can get you back on track and get you back in if that's a viable option for you. In our case, we just knew there's no way she was going to be well enough to attend. That just wasn't going to be a goer. And we didn't want the insecurity for her, the uncertainty of not knowing whether she was going in back in or not and not knowing how they're going to be teaching it. We couldn't do that for her, but it would might work for other people with different SEN to her. So some of those are really good, short-term, very expensive. We actually went for an online school, which is an online high school. The one we chose was Interhigh because it was like a, a full normal high school, full normal secondary school, just delivered online. So it had real teachers, real classes, real teaching, real time. You could raise your hand to ask questions. You could send a chat directly to the teacher. The, the, you could have interaction with other pupils. They did online debates. They debated the merits of Chairman Mao and Lenin, I think, at one point in her thing, because she was doing history, ancient civilizations, and English literature. Because she was doing A-levels, a lot of the online schooling wasn't available to her because most of them stop at 16. So Intai went on to A-levels, and that was important for her because that's when she fell out. And she was able to take those, which was brilliant because it got her re-engaged. And the best thing about that was they recorded all of the lessons and put them into a lesson bank afterwards. So if she had a migraine and wasn't well enough to attend, she could then see it again. But what actually happened, because the demand was lower and she didn't have to be dressed, so she was sitting there in her pyjamas, vaguely upright, and sometimes lying down if she had a migraine. She could close her eyes and just listen to it and then go back over the stuff after. And she could sit there with her cat on her lap, and her cat was part of her stress management technique. So the cat's sitting there purring. Anybody who's ever done meditation with a purring cat noise? Oh, it's amazing. Good noise. Seriously good. So she was sitting there with her therapy cat on her lap doing her work in her pyjamas, doing her A-levels. It's fantastic. Absolutely loved it got re-engaged with learning, started to work out how to submit her work on time. She's never been great at doing homework. So, you know, that was a really important thing for her and got her re-engaged in learning. So that was brilliant for her, absolutely brilliant for her. The downside of that was that we needed to find a an exam centre for her because obviously she wasn't at a physical school. And her previous school, God bless them, because they did try to accommodate. They tried everything they could, but it was just too late for her offered to be her exam centre. And so she went back into a familiar environment and the school knew her exam accommodations. And if you're not sure about exam accommodations, the AT has got brilliant guidance on those and we'll put a link in the show notes. But they knew all of those. They didn't have to ask them again. They welcomed her in. There were people she knew. They were so kind to her. It was wonderful. But there was one particular exam that we needed to take that was over the half-term break in the May. No schools were open in our county because they're all shut for half term. So they weren't open. There's no staff there. Couldn't do it. So we had a choice of going to a commercial exam centre, very busy, didn't know her, couldn't guarantee her exam accommodations, would have to travel across London and out the other side to get there with all the sensory and organisational issues that that means. Very mind this child has not been upright and out of the house before midday, predominantly for the previous two years at all. So I thought, hmm, this isn't going to work. So we then, God bless them, took Beth to Interhigh's office as a registered exam centre. And she took her A-levels in their exam centre with a window looking out over fields with the sound of sheep buying in the background. And that was the one she passed. What a surprise. So 500 mile round trip for her to do two exams. It was the things you do. 
the love, the things you do. So that was amazing. But it got her back. You know, she she's now sitting on an English literature A level. I do think this online school thing is a big winner. I know if you haven't read the book Ready Player One. Oh, I love Ready Player One. In the film, it's one thing. Book is a yeah, very yeah. different thing. In the book, they talk about the virtual school, yeah. and you sit there and think about special needs. And you can hide disabilities, and if you haven't watched the book, there's a there's a twist with one of the characters, which again shows you the hiddenness. And I do think that's a big thing. And I've heard that in Norway, mm. with all the remote villages, yep. they actually some children go to virtual reality schools. Yeah, so they send out headsets to the children. They access school. And when you've got anxiety, sensory issues, and various other things, you're going, this is just a big win. Yeah. But when you mentioned the examining, I was like, oh, dear. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> That's all going to come crashing How down. many difficult things can we add in? Yeah. But they do it in Australia. They've been doing it in years for the outback schools because people are too dispersed. So it's the best way of doing teaching. And I, I just think anyone, even you've got adult learners, mm. the adults who – don't want to have to say, I can't read. Yeah. All of that standing up and being noticed disappears. I think it's great. And I don't know how it's expensive. Do you know what? It was cheaper than her real physical sixth form place. And I had to fight the local authority to get it. And it cost less. Yeah. And that was what made me so incandescently furious because it's not a resourcing issue. It was a, this is the only, this is the only provision I could get her into. She was not well enough to attend anything, any physical provision at all. There's no way that any tutor could rock up and teach her three A-levels. There's no way that happens. They are not qualified to do that. They cannot do that. It's impossible. This is the only way she can have any form of education. She has a right to have that education in the same way that any child who doesn't have a disability has a right to have that education. And it costs less than her sixth form place. comes down to uh, preconceptions would be my guess. And parents who know that it's there, we had to find it for ourselves. We had to resource it for ourselves. We had to fight for it. You shouldn't have to fight so hard for something that's the only viable option. I'm going to look at online schools for my sister. I can give you all sorts of help. We'll talk afterwards. Excellent. Talk afterwards. So that was really good. Home education is a big one mm. and very pop, popular, not by, probably not by choice. Mm. It's a really interesting thing. So I've written an article for Network Autism about home education and whether it's actually a choice or not. And there are some people who will choose to educate their child at home because they don't like the way the education system is set up, because they don't think it values the right things. But in my experience, the people, most of the people who are home educating are doing so because the school system doesn't fit the needs of their child and not because they've actively chosen to do that. So... I don't think it's always a choice. I think it takes a huge amount of commitment. Not everybody is financially resourced to not be able to work whilst they are teaching their child. It feels like something that people who are financially privileged can do and those who are not privileged can't. It's also just comes down to your ability. Yeah. And your ability to have a relationship with your child while you're teaching them. How far you can go, because I'm guessing you probably couldn't teach your daughter her A-levels. No, um, in terms of history and ancient civilization, she left me behind probably when she was about seven, actually. So there's no way I could do that. And there is something for me about parents needing to be parents and teachers needing to be teachers. And for us in our family, I tried 
helping them with homework. I tried supporting them. Every time I tried helping them, it got worse. You know, there is, and our relationship got Did worse. Did you help like a teacher, though? I have no idea. I helped like somebody who wants them to do what they're told. Helped them like... Did um, I help? Is that helping like a teacher? I don't know. I don't know what really helping hard. like it's, a teacher is. My wife's a teacher, and when I watch her do the homework, it's like watching a teacher teach. Oh, right. And you probably don't know how to do it any differently. Mm. Whereas I just sit there and I, I sit there and go, well, how did I get it as a child? Yes. And then I explain that. So I'm, so I'm doing it as like almost like a child sitting next to them. Explain it, although I'm bigger than them. That's how I explain it. Whereas I watch and either I'm having flashbacks and scary teachers. My wife isn't a scary teacher. But either I'm sitting there going, oh, teacher, and seeing it. And it's, I'm making more of it than it is. Yes. Or I think it is just. Once you become a teacher and you're, you are teaching, and as a parent, you're then helping that to your teaching. And I do watch my daughters get rubbed up the wrong way mm. more. And it's not intended. And I don't think it's hard to, I, I couldn't tell you what it is, but it's, you just watch it and it's like, it's a teacher teaching. I just know that our relationship was already under strain by her illness. It was under strain by my frustration and unhappiness and how much strain we were under as a family because it nearly broke us. We could not have taught her on top of that. We just could not have done that. And all credit to anybody who has the resources and the chutzpah to do that. You know, my hat, take my hat off to you. I couldn't do it. No way. So I think it works for some people. All credit to them. It's fantastic, but I... Do it. I think it comes down to when you've I I couldn't choose to do it. Mm. I would never choose to do it. But when it comes to that rock and a hard place, yeah, and I'm I'm somehow the best option for my children <laughs> for them, I would give it everything I've got. Yeah, and might, I think they if, might get a very biased education from that. Well, I think if we hadn't found in tight the time we found them, then that would have been what we'd have ended up doing. Because there is no alternative. And there are things around Home education where you get different groups together and you get different parents with different expertise who will help to teach different things. Yep. So because it tends to attract people who have high level skills anyway, so, you know, there are different skills to share. So it isn't necessarily a negative thing and some people really make it work. I didn't want to do that for us. I didn't feel that that would work as well for us. And I loved the interaction that she had with the other students. I think for somebody who had been so isolated, I think that made the world of difference. Yeah. And the other thing that really worked in our case was we were able to borrow somebody else's daughter who came to live with us because she was having a bit of a hard time. And having, you know, how sometimes I think we should just pass our teenagers around to somebody else because actually you can have a better relationship with somebody else at that stage. You just need to not be at home when you're at that particularly difficult stage. So we just borrowed somebody else. And uh, she was brilliant because she brought the world into us. Yes. At a time where we were completely isolated and cut off, she actually brought that young energy and that, that different energy in, and she's been wonderful. She's been absolutely wonderful. So that was a real godsend. I, I do think power of friendship, and either in that physical world where they come to mm. you, but even in that online world, yeah, where you can watch things like Twitch. Do you know what Twitch is? Yes. So you can watch Twitch together and chat, but you can do things together. Although you're not face-to-face -face and you can play on the games console with your headset on, Yeah, it's that interaction, it's that feelingness of together. It's really, really positive. Yeah, because I hear my boy talking to people all over the world. And it's amazing. And he's having a real friendship with them. You know, it's not a, a sort of cut-price friendship. It's a real thing. He's been talking to them for years. And how old is he? 
He's now 17. And how old are the people he's talking to? 17, 18 and 19. Okay, because what I found is you often get people could be, so they might be 18, but they could yeah. be talking to children from 14 yeah. all the way up to 40, 50-year-olds. And so many barriers are removed. Yeah. You're not going, oh, where do you live? Oh, what colour is your skin? Oh. Yeah, who cares? Are you a boy or girl? Oh. You're, there's no, you're literally, it's text on a screen. Yeah. And you're reacting to it. You don't know if they're using eye gaze and typing it. Yeah. You don't know if they've typed it and then spent the next 10 minutes making sure it's the right thing. Because what I'm saying is I take it the wrong way. Yeah. And then finally push enter. There's so many things you just don't know. You just take them for what you see in that text box or what you hear. Yeah. And you have no idea if they're in a wheelchair, if they're in a hospital bed. You just don't know, which I think is such a good... It's a leveller. It's such a good leveller. And the nice thing is he's also got some of his friends from in real life and the same thing. So he's kind of got that going at the same time. So he's got people who he'll meet in in physical life and we've had come on holiday with us and and who he'll also talk with online in the same group. So, you know, they've got the whole sort of multidimensional thing going on. My mum often says community is dead. Back in my back in my day, blah, blah, blah. We used to meet down the coffee shop down the pub or we used to do this and no communities are very much there they're just invisible yeah they're online they're made up not made up but i i have a community i have a community of friends that i've had for 10 years we don't talk as much but we're friends on facebook and they span the world yes they didn't originally but as they've changed and moved and grown up and have their kids it's grown and you watch them grow up and that friendship's there and i've i didn't go to school with them we just had a shared interest that got us talking, got us connected, and it stayed with us. It's not just because I lived with them. That's not why I'm friends with them. I'm friends with them because we did find a connection. Yeah. And I think that's value, more valuable than people realise, and I think schools should be helping children create that. And doing it safely, because schools can help them to do it safely rather than less safely. So, slight tangent from what mm. the original topic was. But <laughs> find very interesting so let's come to the happy ending yes we all need a happy ending we were promised you that we wouldn't leave you in the slough despond we're a long way in hour and 20 supposed to be a 45 minute podcast but hour and 20 we're still going we're having fun if you're still listening i love you (laughs) (laughs) it's so good you're still here so the happy ending as we speak right now for us is that my lovely daughter beth is now not only out of her bedroom she is able to attend a full-scale, mainstream FE college in the next town over that she walks herself to the station, gets on a train, gets off the other end, walks up the hill, and then goes in and is doing an access to higher education course, which is not to, to A-levels for those who missed them first time around, who are adult learners. And because she's 20, she's an adult learner now. And she's studying there to be able to go to university. And she's doing pretty well. And she was offered a place at the university of her choice last year to do the course of her choice. And what she's that course, she wants to do English literature at the University of East Anglia. So she's not aiming high or anything, <laughs> she says. <laughs> so she, that's where she would really like to go. And we've been there four times now. So we've had to do lots of visits to make sure that she'd be safe and happy and comfortable with it. And there's a whole thing that we'll talk about 
in terms of accommodations and transitions that perhaps in a future podcast. Thinking, I'm going to write that down for a I'm not going to, yeah, it's going to be a future podcast, I think, that one. But we've been there several times and she's even helped me to do a talk to students at University of East Anglia about autistic heroes and how to find support as an autistic student. And that is just amazing that she can see that as an adult. And one of the things that I would just say is that they had an applicant day and because she was an applicant, they welcomed her in. And they did this presentation where they say, we're looking forward to seeing all the new students who we're hoping to greet in September. And we'd also like to recognise some of our applicants, including one who's written a chapter in the book that's been published. And that's my daughter. And wow. she, the look on her face when she knew they were talking about her, how welcome did she feel in that educational institution, given her history, that that was the one place in the world she wants to be and they want her to have her. That was just magical. She lit up. So whether or not it happens is a different thing because she was. it took us an extra year because actually, you know, the path is never straight, is it? <laughs> so the access course is a really high, really intensive course. It was too much for her to do in the first year back in a full mainstream, a sensory environment, really busy, all the travel. So we've made it two years and she's applying again this year. So cross everything for us, peeps. But it was just amazing. So she's rocking it. Good luck, Beth. So question. So look, think back to her. Yep. Stuck at home. Yep. In bed. Yes. Where she is now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick my neck out and guess that that wasn't down to the authority. No. So what three things do you think made that big difference? I don't mean the people around her because that's yeah, yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah, yeah. What is it? What is it? Three things you can go. Actually, I think by doing that, and then we did that. Is there anything you can really? Right. So one, finding her something she could do. So finding her education she could do because she always wanted to be educated. She always wanted to go to school. She just couldn't access it. The most important thing was giving her control. We gave up. Control. We gave up trying to control where she went and when and how. So we stopped nagging her about getting up in the morning. We didn't, we just took all the pressure off because whenever we added pressure on, it made her worse. So we had to take all that pressure off her so that she could recover. Now she's fully in charge of when she gets up, what she does, when she does it. She's much less severely affected. So it's about control and it's not kind of a, a weird sort of manipulative control is just she needs to be in charge and she's a, a grown-up now you know she has to be a grown-up functioning in a grown-up world and she needed to learn those skills for herself and the final thing is celebrating the tiny wins you know celebrating each one of those tiny wins for her and she now gets up and she cooks every meal for us in the evenings because we're working on her life skills as well so she is building those up. She is someone who has resourcefulness. She has resilience. She has strength. She is sometimes still ill, but she knows what to do with it. I suppose going back to that first one, you said she's always wanted to learn, and not every child's like that. But they always have an interest. Yeah. And you can hide learning. Yeah. So I'm a fan of YouTube. Yeah. And whatever your interest you can find videos on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. And they will teach you stuff. Christy, what have you learned from YouTube? Ooh. Something silly. What have I learned? Something silly that I learned from YouTube. I learned how to tie a Windsor knot. 
I'm watching a YouTube <laughs> really? video. I never did one. You didn't have one. And I was going to feel, and I always used to tie that school My one. My dad taught me and that. It was like that. And I was like, I want to tie, I'm a grown up. I'm going to tie a proper knot. And I went, I don't know how. Oh. So I went to YouTube. Someone I know learned how to do a wet shave off YouTube. And that makes you think, well, why don't you learn that? And that's that preconception again. That's really interesting. So, so I've learned lots of cooking things. I do lots of recipes from YouTube, wonderful websites involved in that. I found myself out of every single technological problem that has caused me a problem in my business. So the minute I can't do something, I think, oh, for heaven's sake, and find a YouTube tutorial on it because there nearly always is one. Always. So if I can't get that microphone to work or if I can't get my presentation to go or if something's just, I can't work out why the all of a sudden it's not going to the right sound device, it'll talk me through how to do that. What else have I got? How to drive more economically. That's one. Good so one. different driving skills. So as we're trying not to kill the planet, alternatives to using lots of washing liquid. <laughs> just Oh, sailing. Lots of sailing things. How to sail faster, flatter, capsize better, get the boat upright again. Capsize better. You're not supposed to capsize. Well, no, you're not meant to capsize, but getting back in the boat quickly okay. and speedily with the minimum of effort is a thing. So my colleague, John, learned how to take apart and fix his tumble dryer. Wow. So instead of him buying a whole new tumble dryer, yep. he spent seven pounds yep. on a new part yep. and then spent a couple of hours completely taking his tumble dryer apart and putting it back together. <laughs> so I think older generations... I'm generalizing here. Yeah, yeah. I don't think realize how good YouTube is. For me, YouTube has replaced Googling. Yep. I don't Google for an answer. I YouTube for an answer. It depends what it is. So, so as sometimes you said, I it's Google. all business stuff. Yeah. So if I'm learning a new piece of software yep. or later on when I'm editing this podcast, how do I do this? Yes. I'm going to be going to YouTube because it's visual and I yes. get to watch it. So when you think of your child mm -hmm. stuck at home, I'm going to say depressed because I don't like being She was at, home. at that point, yeah. What is it that what is it your child likes? What is it you can get them into? So ancient history. There'll be videos on that on YouTube. She couldn't watch things. So she when she listen. had migraines, she couldn't watch them. But she did listen. And we also got her lots of talking books. I'm going to put in a plug for libraries here. <laughs> for those of you who still have access to one, please go and visit it. It needs you to put your foot, feet through the door, otherwise it won't be there. And they have lots of auditory books. They have lots of audio books. So for anybody who just finds that they get overstimulated, you can close your eyes and listen to an audio book. You can also plug them in when you're driving. Fantastic. Brilliant way of learning. Another thing, have you heard of a podcast? Well, funnily <laughs> enough, now you mention it, Dale, I hear there's one called The Sendcast. So again, there's podcasts on everything. everything. <laughs> Absolutely everything. So if you have a child at home who's whatever they're into, you're going to be able to find something to interest them, something yes. for them to get interested in, and then fuel that interest. Absolutely. Let's say they're into Minecraft. And you buy books, they're going to read. They're going to play the game. Let's yep. play some videos where you've got tips and they'll yep. learn that. And they'll, they'll find new things out. So they're learning about the game. And then let's say there's an event not far on about Minecrafters. Mm. That might be the one thing that gets them out of their house. That might get them, they've got that, I want to go see it. It's funny you should mention that. One of the things that Beth actually did manage to get out for in the early days where she wasn't out for a lot, she went to Comic-Con. 
Comic-Con at the Excel Centre, full of lovely autistic and probably possibly non-autistic people. I, I hear non-autistic people go too. I've been. I don't Actually overwhelming. But there was this wonderful moment where there were all these people up in cosplay wearing the most amazing costumes. And there was this phenomenal guy. They, they were Batman and Robin. And one of the Robins decided to parkour up an escalator and then fell off the side. And all of a sudden, all of these Batmen rushed to catch him. And one of the Batmen caught him. And he turned around and looked at the Batman and said, but you're not my Batman. <laughs> it wasn't the Batman. You are not the Batman I came with, but it was fine. You know, it was really lovely. <laughs> that sounds like a kid's book. That's not my Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is, and it is, I think, technology has its downsides, but it's a big benefit. It can be. And if you haven't been to comic it's amazing. It is eye-opener. Yeah. It's something that will get your child excited if they're into anything sci-fi yeah any star wars star trek game of thrones manga uh, adventure <laughs> random really random series my kids watch cartoon we like random series anything there'll be someone there, doctor who lots of stuff and it's a nice place where somehow you feel comfortable mm. even though you're surrounded by strangers and you're a little bit weird it feels very comforting and very Home. Weird is good, Dale. It is. We like weird. Lots of positive things to end on. Yes. Just because your child isn't at school, it's not the end. No. It's just might be a different route. And sometimes you just need to take time out to recover. And for and for schools, it's it's again, it's going back to the relationship. And again, just because it's not coming in doesn't mean the end. You can still rebuild those bridges. Yeah. So thank you for coming on the show today. It's been, it's, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation, talking yes, about all the different you. things. We did get some silver, some light at the end of the tunnel. We did. We did. And as Sarah J mentioned, we're putting all the links to everything we've mentioned in the show notes, including to the website Not Fine in School. We'll also be sharing Sarah Jane's, all the stuff she's mentioned, sharing her email address as well, so you can get in contact with Sarah Jane. And if you want to get hold of Sarah Jane on Twitter, you can use at Sarah Jane Critch. On Facebook, you can just search for Different Joy. On Pinterest, it's Sarah Jane Critch. And on Instagram, it's Sarah Jane Critchley. So there's lots of different ways of getting Sarah Jane. You cannot get away from you. No, you keep trying, don't you? And also, Sarah Jane does a number of talks around the country at various events. And on her, if you go to her website, which is different, www.differentjoy.com. That's right. You'll also find videos. So she does have a YouTube channel. There's lots of guidance and the support Sarah Jane provides. So and you can find the show notes on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't, again, subscribed already, please do so by going to our website and you'll find the subscribe button. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with everything we're doing. And alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter, at The Sendcast, or on Facebook, The Sendcast, or on Instagram, The Sendcast. And finally, LinkedIn, just Sendcast. I see if I can change that. But it's just same cost. And if you want to let us know how we're doing, if you want to say this was really great, I related to this, or actually my experience is different to that, please let us know. If you want to suggest topics, please let us know. And you can do all that by sending us an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Sendcast, why not look at the virtual send conference? So this is a conference we've been running for just over a year. 
So we've run two already. The next one's going to be in March. And what we're going to be doing later on in June is actually running a conference for parents. So, and the Virtual Send Conference is all about making high quality CPD available to everyone anywhere. Okay, so rather than having to travel somewhere like London and attending a conference with lots of travel, time away, and so on, which isn't always achievable, and also doing it all in one go, with the Virtual Send Conference, you can access it whenever you want to. So although we run it on a particular day, we record all the sessions, which means you can access the sessions whenever you want. So if you can't handle it all in one day, due to being a home school refuser, so it takes a lot more care, you can't do a whole day watching videos, you can watch it over a course of a couple of weeks, access it when you need to. So you can buy the tickets off the Virtual Send Conference website. The conference for schools are £60. And that is for the entire school, not just per person. So idea is really useful. And rather than just the Senko being trained, you can actually train everyone in the school. And as a Sencast listener, we are offering you all a 10% discount just using the code Sencast10. Okay. And in future episodes, I'll be telling you more about the virtual Send conference for parents. We're still in early days yet. But as we get closer, we'll be releasing more information. And if you're listening to this after the event, you can buy tickets now and using that discount code. So either way, it's great. So thank you for listening to the Sendcast. We'll be back next week with another amazing episode. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.